Well, good morning, good morning, Bethel Church family. So happy to be here with you. Merry Christmas. If you don't know who I am, my name is Nick Husterberg. I am the church planter at Bethel Southwest. And it has been a year, which is, yeah, yeah, round of applause. Uh, kind of crazy. I, I explained it like this. It feels like it was just yesterday that we were leaving to go. Yeah, it feels like the new normal. It's so cool. It's so awesome to see what God is doing and continues to do. And I hope, like, this is just one of many. Um, I, it's so cool to see what Pastor Nathan's going to be doing, hopefully here in the next year. Um, and just so exciting that the Lord is stirring on the hearts of our leaders and hopefully on you too of planting more churches in these small towns. Because the reality is there are people there who need to know Jesus. There are, need, there are people there who would not step into a church if a church wasn't there. And that's the heart. And that's why we're planting churches. And I hope and pray that the Lord will use you guys, use us as a church family to see thousands upon thousands of people come to faith in Jesus. And that's what we get to do. Before we get going, let me just pray for us and ask the Lord to lead us in our time together. God, we just come to you and uh, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for the time of Christmas to celebrate and to be reminded. God, may the words that come out of my mouth honor and glorify you when we leave here. May we see you in a clearer way. Pray this in your son's name. Amen. I'm going to begin with a question, a question that seems simple yet profound. The question is this, why does Christmas exist? Like most of you in here are like, Nick, you're a pastor. I hope you have this one figured out by now. And while I think we have an answer, do we really have an answer? And I go back to a moment when I was a pastor, as a youth pastor, and I had just finished a Christmas teaching in our Sunday school class and had this interaction with this young man that forever is kind of burned in my brain. First of all, you got to remember, uh, when you do youth ministry, not everyone in your building, in your room, in your ministry actually wants to be there. And so I, I get done with this teaching, and this kid comes up to me. He, he comes in with this smirk. You know that smirk I'm talking about? Like, oh, he's going to get me. And he comes up, and he come, I, I've been there a couple times. He comes up, and he goes, hey, Nick, I have a question for you. I go, what, what, what? He goes this, do you know that Christmas isn't about Jesus, right? In my head, I have two things going on. I'm first about to embrace for a unique conversation because you don't start a conversation off with that question unless you are probing for a, a, like a, a disagreement or an argument. And the second thing I'm thinking is, in my unsanctified, unholy thoughts, it's like, I'm really glad you figured out what 2,000 years of Christians have missed. And, and, and so I'm sitting there listening. I said, okay, go for it. Like, okay, then what is Christmas about? He then began to explain um, Christmas is originally a pagan holiday that the first that, that the Christians kind of took over in sometime during the early Roman Empire, uh, early like Constantine Roman Christian Empire. And th th it's not actually about Christ. It's about these pagan gods who are renewing the earth. And in that moment, again, I am going, okay. 
I've listened to your rant, and uh, what am I going to say? And I continue processing the thoughts, and in my head, this one train of thinking stood out. Again, he has this smirk. He has just schooled the pastor, he thinks. And in my brain, I go, who cares? Really, who cares? Like, while no actual historical evidence places a connection between these pagan holidays and Christmas, who cares about the origin of the celebration of Christmas? Who cares if it was ripped off of a pagan holiday? Who cares if Constantine wanted to use this holiday in the wintertime to celebrate the birth of Jesus? Because Christmas isn't about how many candles we're going to put on the cake. How many years it's been since Jesus was born. Christmas is there to remind us. There's a great theologian named Daryl Charlton. He always says this, and it just sticks out in my head. And we weren't supposed to laugh that much. <laughs> you just threw me off. He always says this, we are leaky buckets. I don't know where he stole that from. He says you're leaky buckets. We always need reminders. So just like we celebrate Easter every single year to be reminded that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, the depth of that reality, and that then he rose again three days later, and that there is now a new life in Christ, we need to be reminded that Jesus came down, the Son of God came down to become a human being for us, for you, for me. We need to be reminded what that means. Because, again, leaky buckets. We forget so quickly. So as we come to this time of the Behold Him series, we have an opportunity to be reminded of the Jesus of Christmas. And through this time, we've had the blessing to hear and learn about who Jesus is, this God-man himself, what it meant for him to come as a human being, God stepping down into flesh. And to understand what that means to me. Because guess what? Jesus that just ripped off a Roman holiday isn't bringing peace. A Jesus that we can number how many years it's been since he's born doesn't bring me hope. But a Jesus that's come as a meek and mild child that now reigns on his throne, that's a Jesus that can bring me hope and peace. That's a Jesus that can keep to his names. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Prince of Peace, Everlasting Father. Keep to his calling. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought me, what? Peace. A Jesus that can be hope. And in his names, the Gentiles will hope. A Jesus, again, that replaces the Roman holiday cannot do that. The Jesus of the Bible, the one who sits on his eternal throne right now, can. So today, we, as we continue this Behold Him series, we are going to have this idea of Jesus the God-man. We're in, first, we're in John 1, not 1 John, John 1. If you can, please open your Bibles, click in your Bibles, however you want to have a Bible, and come with me into that time. And today, this is our main point. Here's our main point for today. Jesus has come that we might know God. Jesus has come 
that we might know God. And while as simple as a statement that might be, the depth of that statement is why Christmas exists. While simple as, as, as easy to take that in, I hope by the end of this time you are encouraged and brought to hope because that statement means so much. Jesus has come that we might know God and we might now celebrate Christmas in a greater way. So again, open your Bibles to John 1 and we will begin there. John 1, 1 through 3. In the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In the beginning are words that would transmit the hearers of John back to the Old Testament. Back to the beginning of the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So now his hearers now are transferred right back to the, what they were growing up learning. And he begins to uh, utilize language that was intentional. See, John had a very clear um, reason for writing. It says this in John 20, 31. These are written that you may believe Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. These are written that you would believe in Jesus. I wrote everything in my gospel that you would understand Jesus is the Christ, the one you need to believe in. Jesus, uh, John is not hiding his intentions He's clearly arguing that this Jesus guy is different. And he states his declaration. A declaration about this man in the beginning, not God, was the Word. The Word is an interesting term. Uh, what we can understand it is, uh, uh, is easy from the text, but yet complex. So don't let that simply pie. It says that the word was God. This went against every Jewish grain of John's body. See, beginning in Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 6, it says this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. So God is one. Yet now John is saying in the beginning, not God, was the what? Word. So John is claiming something crazy. Either this is that there are multiple gods and this word happens to be one of them or as we understand it now, the God of the Bible, the God of the Hebrew Old Testament, the God we believe in is a little bit more complicated than we once thought. We actually see that there's another person of God. We actually see at the end of Matthew 28, 19, it says this, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. These verse here in, in Matthew and then also in John seem to show multiple people of the Godhead, all equal, all powerful, all God, yet different people. God is one spirit, yet what we would say three persons. We use the word Trinity to explain that. But why is that important? Why is that important to you and me? First of all, I, I just marvel. Like, this is the Bible. Like, this is written by God. Like, I mean, if you look at all different pagan religions, all different religions, God is either one, one God, one entity, or there are multiple gods. Yet, yet we come to God's word and we understand something only God could teach us, only God could create, is that there is one God, yet three different persons of him. One spirit with one togetherness, yet three different people. 
if that does not marvel, if that does not like, wow, I don't completely understand that, then I guess you don't grasp what's going on. Because this is different. So John says this is a three person, but also what's cool about this is that we understand in those three persons there has been love from before the beginning. Where does love come from? What does love exist? Love exists because love was in the Godhead between different people of God before anything ever existed. But specifically today, we can be confronted, specifically as we come to Christmas, we can be confronted with the celebration of the Son of God, giving up all heavenly treasure to come to earth. Son of God being fully God, fully, fully God. Like, not, well, he wasn't like a lesser part of God. He wasn't like uh, someone who just kind of put off to the side. Fully God. And he stepped down to take on flesh, just like you and me, to become his creation for the sake of his creation, for sake of creation that rejected him. We will see in verse 3, that the word who became flesh, the baby who was born on that first Christmas day, that first Christmas day was the vehicle through which creation was made. We see this in verse 3. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything that was made. We see Paul lay out in the Colossians 1, one of the most beautiful reflections of this transcendency of Jesus. In verse 1, verse 17, And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Let's take that in for a second. The God who became a baby, at one moment he was reliant upon his mom for every nutrient that he needed. Moments before, time before, was controlling the universe. He spoke Jupiter into being. And I can't fix my washer. (laughs) I was super stoked when I changed my tires. Take that in. That's what we celebrate at Christmas, right? That God became flesh. The God who created the world became a baby because of his creation. We also see this in Romans 5, 8, but God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Like, I wish you could fully comprehend this. The love of God. Like, he came down as a human for humanity. He, he understands us. He understands your pain. Like, he lost a friend, and he cried. His dad was dead before he went to the grave. He lost a parent. He watched his mom suffer as he was suffering, and he had the he had the thought while he was on the cross to say, John, take care of my mom. He got sick. Hebrews 4, 14 through 17 says that we have a high priest who understands us. He's God. He, he understands us. I, like, I don't know what you're walking into this building this Christmas. I mean, I know for a fact everyone's coming from different perspectives. Like from different walks of life, from different things, different trials. Maybe your life is just going smooth and chill. Maybe some of you are like, man, I barely walked into this building today. Like you should be just stoked I'm awake right now. He understands you. Like I wish I can grasp that love completely, right? 
I know the Son of God holds the world together. How can I not rest in that love, right? How can I rest in that God? What I mean by rest is just, hey, God, I know you love me. I know you understand me. Like, I know you do. And I know you control all things and in you, like, you hold all things together. And you can wonder why Jesus says, come to me, all you weary and heavy laden, and I will give you what? Rest? My burden is light. My yoke is easy. Why? I understand you. I love you. Nothing's outside of my hands. Nothing's outside of my control. I'm working all things out for your good. For those who love me, for those who I have called. He who is not willing to give up his own son for you, will he not give you also graciously all things? See, this is what I'm trying to grasp. This is why I'm trying to help this move forward, this idea. This is why Christmas is so, buck, uh, so important, because we are leaky buckets. Trials hit us. Trials come before us, and we get nervous and scared. God, I don't think I can trust you just this much. Sickness happens. Pain happens. Hurts happens. People hurt you. You hurt them. And you're like, God, I don't know how I can trust you. And, and we come to Christmas, and we're like, all this like, stuff is happening and we could just take, just take a moment to step back and go, God, you loved us enough to give up the treasure of heaven, become a human being like me, to be fully reliant on another human being for my nutrients, and then die. I understand you. I understand what you're walking. Right now, he is literally in heaven. Like, um, mediating, being your, being your mediator, meaning like he's, he's saying, I'm for you, I'm for you. And we go, we can't trust you. You don't understand what I'm going through. You don't understand what happened. And Jesus is like, I do. And I'm holding all things together. That cancer in your family, that's not outside of his control. That job lost right before Christmas, he, 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 didn't, he, didn't, he didn't take a day off. John 1 is saying all things were created through him. He was the vehicle. He spoke, and it happened. Why does John use the word, the term word here? The word here it has many different definitions in John's world. Um, but I believe John is actually tipping off his reader to how he wants them to understand. If anybody can remember, how does, how does God create the world? Is he, is he like the pagan gods that we read out in all these different narratives that had to work hard to create the earth? What did he do? He spoke. So when John is saying Jesus is the word, he's saying he is the vehicle, he is the means, he was the word means, he was the the actor who spoke creation with no effort whatsoever. And not only do we see that he was the speaker of creation throughout the Old Testament, we see God's word being given to us that we might, what? Know God. So John, in his brilliance, says the word was God and with God. He's trying to say, yes, this Jesus guy, this Jesus guy was the actor of creation. I means he was the one who brought it forth, and he's the one who also reveals God. Thus saith the Lord is God revealing God to his, himself to humanity. When God speaks to people, he is actively being kind and gracious 
merciful. So when John says Jesus is the word, John is calling us to understand Jesus' majesty. I'm going to use a big word right here, his transcendency, meaning how great he is. Because he could speak creation into being. Again, I don't know how powerful you are. You can't do that. Also, Jesus is kindness and mercy. Because he says that when God reveals himself, that is an act of kindness to us. Because we do not deserve to know God. We do not deserve for God to be known to us as we reject him, we rebel. Like, honestly, like, if you've been married for, like, more than, like, three months, you understand if you're frustrated with your spouse, you don't even want to reveal your, you don't want me to talk to them. Yet God comes to us and speaks and says, this is who I am. John 1 and 118 will say, no one has ever seen God who is at the Father's side he, talking about Jesus, talking about the word, has made him known. Again, why is this important? Why is this important? I go back to the claim that this young man brought forth so eloquently before me. The claim that Christmas was a ripoff of some pagan holiday. And I go back, it's not important on December 25th that Jesus happens, that really happens to be Jesus' birthday. Unless you want to put candles on the cake, if you can get uh, 2,000, whatever candles on there. It's not important, because what are we celebrating? We're celebrating the fact that God became a human being. That the word which, was, which created the universe through speaking now needed a young woman to care for his needs at one point. He did this for us. He did it for you. Matthew one twenty one says, She will bear a son. And you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Well, we see that the word was God, it was with God. We also see the word doing God things. John 1, 1, 1 4 through 5, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. John continued to utilize this creation language. Throughout the creation narrative, we see God giving life to creation and bringing light into darkness. Genesis 2, 7 says this, Then the Lord formed man out of dust and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. We also see in Genesis 1, 2, and 3, The earth was without form and void. Darkness was over the face of the depth, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light, and there was life. But now John, he, he says that the word, or as we know, Jesus, that life is the light of men which comes in dark. Jesus is this life. He is the light. God, creation themes. But now, it's changed. Like, it's, it, this language is actually kind of weird right here. Like, if I said Nick is air, you might think I'm a little crazy. You might be questioning my need, my ability to be up here. Because that's not how we talk. But when John says that Jesus is life, he's saying that Jesus is the foundation of all creation. We see this again. I like how the New Living Translation translates it. It says, The Word gave life to everything that was created, and His life was brought to the light. And His life brought light to everyone. So that which gives life, 
to all creation now throughout John will give, also we'll see, given a new life to the creation. The one who, who brought forth light into darkness, we will see throughout John, he builds on this theme where he will say light and darkness. He will begin to this idea of, hey, now the Jesus, the God who gave life at the beginning, we see this in First John 1, in John 1, 9, sorry, that there was a true light which give, gives light to everyone who was coming into the world. The Son of God, this word which is life, which gives light into the darkness, we will now see brings light into the world. Jesus is God. Jesus is creator. Jesus is savior. John is, is trying to get this idea across to his readers. He doesn't want them to miss it. He wants them to be like hitting on the side of it with a two by four, that this Jesus is God, but also that this Jesus is bringing life. He's creating light. And what we see throughout the Bible, at this, especially in the Gospel of John, that it's a new life. A new life. We see this in Nicodemus. I don't know if you know Nicodemus. Nicodemus' story is pretty cool. And Nicodemus is someone, he comes to Jesus, and he talks to him, he goes, like, he's, you're a great teacher. And Jesus says, do you want to know how to get to the kingdom? You have to be born again. And John, I mean, Nicodemus is like, what does that even mean? Born again? I can't come from my mother's womb again, Jesus. I thought you were smart. And Jesus begins to explain, no, that's not what I mean. He says, you must be born again. You must be able to see that new life. And then Jesus will have that famous verse right there. What's that famous verse in John 3? John 3.16, for God so loved the world, he gave them what? Eternal life. And so when John here at the beginning is saying, this, this Jesus guy, this, this word, he creates new life. He creates light. And guess what? We know we need something. Like, so we see and experience life in the world, yet we understand that darkness and sin has covered the world. Like, you know this to be true. Like, if I'm, real, if I'm real, life can really be hard sometimes. Like, people hurt each other. We live in a world full of sickness, pain, hurt, violence, war, death. You look out into reality, like into humanity, and you really don't see any hope that we can solve our own problems. I mean, we, we sure think we can. Like, if we just had enough technology, we would we'd be good. Maybe a little bit more education. We would, if, we, if we could just cure some sicknesses, all would be good. Maybe we need a little bit more military, maybe a little bit less military. If we could just figure all this stuff out, we would be good. Yet we get there, we get enough technology, we get enough, like, health care, and we get all, and guess what? We screw it up. It's very clear that we can't fix our problems. Darkness is in this world. It is very clear. Jesus says in John 16, 33, I have said these things to you that you may have, that you, that in me, sorry, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus promises that we might have peace. Again, uh, that statement might just blow by you because when you hear the word peace, you're like, hey, no war, peace. Or no craziness in my house, I need peace. When Jesus says peace, he's saying, I'm going to give you wholeness. I'm going to give you flourishing. I'm going to give you the life, the eternal life that you were created to have. I'm going to give it to you. I have come that you may have this flourishing hope, 
wholeness in you while the world out there has tribulation. It's crazy. It's broken. Why can we, why, like, why can we trust that statement? Like, because guess what? I know all of you in here are looking for peace. I know it is, because you're a human being. Unless you're not a human being, and then we got other statements. I know parents, you might not think your teenagers are a human being right now, but they are. Sorry, teenagers, that wasn't nice. You can talk to Nathan about that one. But you're all seeking something. And Jesus says, I've come to give it to you. Why can you trust the same? Because Jesus is God. Jesus can offer that when nothing else can. Why do we celebrate Christmas? Because Jesus is God. Jesus is a relational God who created humanity out of love. Even though humanity rejected him, he still came for us. 1 John 4.10 This is real love. Not that we have loved God, but he loved us and sent his son to be a sacrifice to take away our sins. Like, I don't, again, I don't know what brought you into this building today. I will say that because I just don't. I don't want to even act like I understand everything. But what I do know is that you're seeking something. And maybe some of you in here are seeking something that you hope Christmas can bring. Peace, hope, rest, joy. And Jesus says, I have come that you may have peace. That comes through walking with him. That's kind of some knowing him. So when John says Jesus is the word, Jesus, the, the word that created all things that reveals God, what he is saying is Jesus is the full majesty of God who allows us to know God. John 1, 11 through 13 says this, he came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, he believed and who believed in his name, he gave them right to become children of God who were born not of the blood of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. It's interesting that this introduction of John, uh, this introduction here, not the introduction of my sermon, it's real, really well into the sermon at this point. Uh, John here in this introduction will explain what he wants you to see about Jesus. He wants to see how people react to Jesus. He does this by making a distinction that goes against the grain of his audience, that Jesus is God. And now that whoever wants to be a child of God will be determined whether or not they believe in Jesus. He says right here what John says is either those who should believe him don't, while those who should not believe him do. And now those who are part of God's family are those who believe in the word, in Jesus. Through Jesus, one is a part of God's family. Again, this completely changes the game. Completely changes the game for John's audience. They would have thought in their head, hey, I'm a part of God's family because of my lineage. Because I was born of Abraham. Because that is why I'm John, I am part of Jesus' God's family. And now John is saying no. Who's a part of God's family? Those who believe in me. Again, we go back to Christmas. Why do we celebrate Christmas? Because this is an aspect of it. Sometimes we miss it. We miss the amazing gift that this information is, that if we believe in Jesus, what he did for us on the cross, we are now a part. You are a child of God. Growing up, um, one of my favorite movies 
has this scene. So uh, one of my favorite movies growing up is Sandlot. Anybody ever seen Sandlot? I mean, yeah, a few people. I mean, oh, man, I thought more people would watch it. It's a good movie. If you haven't watched it, kids, I want to be careful. I don't want to be careful. I do not officially endorse the movie Sandlot. But growing up, Sandlot has this interesting scene. So this kid moves into this new town, and as he's moving into this new town, uh, he wants to make friends. We've all been there, right? Moving into a new house, you have a new, a new, um, new neighborhood, and uh, you want to meet friends. And so this kid goes, and he starts playing baseball with his friends. Well, in a scene, this kid loses his baseball. They lose their baseball. Like, they have only one baseball. Baseballs are expensive, I guess. And so they lose their baseball. And this kid goes, and he goes, man, I got a baseball at home. And I want to go grab it. And now we can play baseball. So if you know the movie, he goes home. He actually grabs his stepdad's baseball and brings it with him. And they start playing with it. And they, eventually someone hits a home run. Home run is when the ball goes over the fence. Well, the whole part of the story is that there is a dog over the fence, so you can't go over the fence. So the ball is gone. And the kid starts freaking out. He's like, like, like I'm going to be dead like my, and, and I, because I've lost my stepdad's baseball. And it has some signature of some lady on it. And, 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 the, and, the, and the guys are like, who's the signature of? Well, he's like, uh, this, this, this woman named Baby Ruth. <laughs> and, 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 the, and, the, and the kids look at him, his buddies that he's trying to make friends with look at him like, what? Yeah, this woman named Baby Ruth signed this baseball. And they're like, do you mean Babe Ruth? And he's like, yeah, that sounds right. And he goes, you were using a ball signed by Babe Ruth to play baseball with. And he's like, yeah, what's wrong with that? He had no realization what was before him. He had no realization what stood in his hand was a ball of significance. So he just played with it. I was like, oh, whatever. And how often we come to Christmas like that? Just another holiday. Just another day. Let's let it pass. The gift that we have isn't that important. It's not that we think. It's just so much just happening in our life and we let it go. That's why Christmas exists. So we can be reminded of that gift. The gravity of it. To be reminded of the gravity of God coming to earth. Because what, what, what are we? We're leaky buckets. If you want to know where that comes from, ask Daryl. He wants to say that all the time. More leaky buckets. And we need to be reminded that now we can know God. First John, I mean John 1.14. Through Jesus, we know God. John 1.14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father. Full of grace and truth. And the word became flesh. Because Jesus has come, we can see God. So interesting how he uses this clear articulation of creation language throughout his introduction. And now he says, you can know God. This is what you were created for. You were created to know and walk with God. And that has been now destroyed. But as John uses creation language, the creation things throughout his introduction, we must expect that he would now use Sabbath things at the end of his gospel. I'll repeat that. But as we see John use creation themes at the beginning of his gospel, light, life, in the beginning was the word, we should expect 
that John would also use Sabbath themes, rest themes, in the end of his gospel. John 19, 30. When Jesus had received the sour wine, what does he say? It is finished. And bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Sean McDonough says this, the climax in his declaration on the cross, it is finished. We might suspect that the gospel that begins with a reference to Genesis 1 and repeatedly speaks of Jesus working would culminate in some sort of Sabbath. See, the point of Jesus' life in this in, is not that he would just live as an example for us. Like, hey, I need to be like Jesus. What would Jesus do? It's not that, it's not that hey, ultimately, Jesus died on the cross for our sins. Perfect, awesome, it's true. The point of Jesus' life is that you would, you would have the ability to experience the Sabbath rest you were created to have, to walk with God, to know God. So when John begins his gospel saying, in the beginning was the word, and then finishes his gospel with saying, it is finished, we are reminded that Jesus' life was there to bring us to God, to know God, to walk with God, to be with God. Sometimes when we hear the word, Jesus gives us eternal life, we think of some version of heaven in our head. I don't know what yours is. Maybe it's playing golf in the clouds. I don't know. But John actually tells us what heaven is, what eternal life is. It says, John 17, 3, this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. That is eternal life. So when Jesus comes, when the word comes, when the word who created all things and, was, and, and holds all things together, when he became flesh, when he gave life, when he gives new life, gives new light into the darkness, what is he doing? He is bringing us into eternal life for those who would believe in him that we might have the Sabbath rest with God. Why does Christmas exist? Christmas exists that we might have peace that you might know where peace comes from. Christmas exists because we are tempted to run after every other things to find peace that never brings peace. Again, we're leaky buckets, right? Life hits us. We forget. You and I need to know Jesus. You and I need to walk with him because that is what you and I were created for. And when we do that, when we do that by resting what Christ did for us on the cross, we now can experience rest in him. John, Luke 2, 13 through 14 says this, And suddenly there was, a, with, an, was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Jesus, the God-man, allows us to know God which in him, which doing that is eternal life. 